<laughs> good morning. Everybody doing okay? You guys good? From here, you look like a sardine canister. You're all kind of crammed in there pretty tight. That's, uh, that's okay. Did you guys get to make it up to the worship night Friday, any of you? Good? Good. So I'll tell you a little secret. I do virtually nothing for those. Um, it's not because I don't want to. My official job, so Kyle makes a job for, for all the people who work here, you know, because we, we all work it. And um, he gives us, you know, job titles and things that we're supposed to do. I, I kid you not, my official position at Worship Nights is floater. I, <laughs> I float around and talk to people, and that's what I do. And uh, I'm out late on Friday, but I'm not really doing a lot of work. I'm just, you know, talking to people and hanging out. And so periodically after worship nights, I'll bump into someone at a coffee shop or something, and they'll say, Pastor, thank you so much for that worship night. And I just go, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> but I've let you, I've just let the cat out of the bag. So now, now you know better. So if it's your first time here, if you're new, we, we, we go through whole books of the Bible at this church. We've been working through I feel like a, a pretty interesting one and, and one that is very pivotal in the history of the followers of God, uh, pivotal in the history of the, of the Jewish people, but, but of course we were, we were grafted into that as Christians, so it applies to us as well. Um, very important just in the history of all humanity, uh, the, the, the book of Matthew, or book of Samuel, I'm so sorry. And so we've been working through this, and two weeks ago, we did chapter 8, and there is a very pivotal instance in chapter 8 in 1 Samuel, and, and we came across this, and the pivotal instance that happens in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel is the people of God, for the first time, are saying that they don't want to be distinct from the world around them. They want to blend in with the world around them, specifically in the manner that they wanted a king. The Jewish people had never had a king up until this point. But now they say to the prophet Samuel, give us a king. We want someone to, to lead us. They literally say to fight our battles for us. We don't want to be responsible. We want to put the responsibility on someone else. Now, here's the thing. It's not that the Jewish people, the Israelites, didn't have a, a governmental system. They did, a very, a very simple governmental system. And what the governmental system was is they had judges, men and women who were placed in different regions. And what those men and women did was when there was a conflict between people or there was a dispute, they would come into the judge. The judge would roll out the laws of God, the Bible, would roll out the, 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 the scripture, and they would let the laws of God dictate the situation. And an interesting fact, when people are just following the laws of God, we don't need a complex governmental system above us. Just chew on that one for a second. So what they say in chapter eight is they say, well, we don't wanna do it that way. We want a king. And they, they, they lose their distinction from the, the, the nations that are around them. Now, as we get into chapter nine today, and we're gonna do just a, a little bit of chapter 10, we're gonna see who that king is. It's a young man named Saul. The Bible says a very impressive young man. And here's the thing that I'm gonna give you today. I say I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna present the word to you, and here's what we're gonna kind of pull out from it. And if you're new here, this is gonna be exceptionally simple, very, very simple today. I promise you a very easy to understand, very simple lesson from scripture. We're gonna talk about some very fundamental things. And here are the four things that we're gonna talk about. Very fundamental, but we often neglect the fundamentals. And when you, when you, when you neglect the fundamentals, you can't build anything off of it. Here's what we're gonna talk about. Searching, surrounding, listening, obeying. 
Those are the four things we're going to talk about today. Now, we'll all make sense as we go through this story about Saul being appointed or anointed the king of the Jewish people, okay? We'll go through that. Glad you're here today. I'm, I'm, it's Seriously, it's a pleasure to see all of you. Glad you guys made it a point to be out here today. If, when you walked in, you should have got a notes handout. Everything should be in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, it's free. Just download that. Click on Sermon Notes. Everything is right there. And if you have a Bible, we're in the Old Testament. I think the ninth book of the Old Testament, Samuel. And um, we'll be doing chapters 9 and a little bit of chapter 10. So we could, should be in good shape. Picture of a donkey to start your day off with. It makes sense, I promise. I don't just pick pictures at random. So uh, anyways, let me pray. And uh, glad you guys are here this morning, all right? Father God, we love you. Lord, thank you for everyone in this room this morning. God, it's, it's really encouraging to see uh, a full room, God. So, so thank you, Lord. We feel blessed and we feel privileged, God. And, and my prayer this morning is that you do bless this church, Lord. Keep your hand on every man and woman in this room and uh, protect them, lead them, guide them, walk with them. Lord, we don't just pray for this church, though, Father. Pray for every church in our city, Lord, as long as they're teaching and living by the word. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those communities, God, that you would bless them. And Father, we just pray that as we study your word today, that, that our ultimate prayer is, is not that we are blessed, God, but that you are honored and blessed through our study, God, that we would learn more about you and grow in our relationship with you. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, pray that you keep your hand on us, God, and we pray all these things in your son's name. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new and you happen to be a Hebrew scholar in here, I'm gonna let you know I struggle with some of the Hebrew words, but I'm gonna do my best today. And chapter nine throws a couple of them at us, okay? I'm gonna read a little bit, we'll go back and we'll break it down. There was a prominent man of Benjamin named Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zoror, son of Bacorath, son of Aphia son of a Benjaminite. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. There was no more impressive among all the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. One day, the donkeys of Saul's father, Kish, wandered off, and Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of our servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Saul and his servant went through the hill country of Ephraim, and then through the region of Shalisha, but they didn't find them. They went through the remaining region of Shalim, nothing. Then they went through the Benjaminite region, but still didn't find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, come on, let's go back, or my father will stop worrying about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Look, the servant said, there's a man of God in this city who is highly respected, Everything he says is sure to come true. Let's go there now. Maybe he can tell us which way we should go. Suppose we do go, Saul said to his servant. What do we take the man? The food from our packs is gone, and there's no gift to take the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul, here, I have a little silver. I'll give it to the man of God, and he will tell us which way we should go. Formally in Israel, this is kind of a little side note, a man who was going to inquire of God would say, let's go find the seer, for the prophet of today was formerly called the seer. Good, Saul replied to his servant. Come on, let's go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they were climbing the hill to the city, 
they found some young women coming out to draw water, and they asked, is the seer here? The women answered, yes, he is. He's ahead of you. Hurry, he just now entered the city because there is a sacrifice for the people at the high place today. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him there before he goes to the high place to eat. The people will not eat until he comes because he has to bless the sacrifice. After that, the guests can eat. Go up immediately and you can find him now. So they went up toward the city. Saul and his servant were entering the city when they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. Now the day before Saul's arrival, the Lord had informed Samuel, at this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel, and he will save them from the Philistines because I have seen the affliction of my people for their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, that's a mouthful, the Lord told him, here is the man I told you about. He will govern my people. Remember that word. We're going to hang on that word here in a second. Okay. This is the way my brain thinks. I kind of think like, like movie stuff. I have a very worthless minor in film studies. And so my brain works in this way a little bit. You end chapter eight, where Samuel is talking to God and God tells Samuel, find a king for the people. Now we leave that area and we pick up the narrative in a different area with a different people. This is the worst example ever to use in church. But if you've ever seen the movie Pulp Fiction and you're laughing because you know I shouldn't be talking about that in church. Pulp Fiction has all these different storylines going on, but there is a part and what makes the movie so interesting is this part where they all kind of intersect. And that's what we're gonna see in chapter nine. You see two different things going on in two different areas, but these things are going to come together and intersect. And it's gonna show us the intricacy of God's plan, how he is involved even in the very small things. And we see that God does it better than the way man does it. And that's how this chapter is going to play out. Okay, now here comes our first lesson that we're to learn from this. Very simple, I told you today, very simple, but very important. So Saul and one of their servants went out to find these lost donkeys. They search for a long period of time. They go up hills. They go to different areas. They go into these areas that were probably more wilderness-like. And at the end of it, Saul is going, man, I'm tired. Let's get back home. My dad's going to start worrying about us. Let's give up. And right when he's about to give up, his servant, who was obviously an intelligent, God-fearing young man, said, well, wait a second. In this town over here, I know that there is a very well-known man of God. He's a prophet. And whatever he says comes true because he has a relationship with God. Let's go talk to him. And here's the first lesson that we learn. In our lives, there are going to be times of doubt, confusion. There's going to be times of loss. There's going to be times when we want to get off the path. We want to give up. And we have to have people positioned around us. Now, listen. We know that we need God first, but we also need people positioned around us who will point us towards God. You guys hear me? You need some good people in your life. It's like I've had over the last 14 years, I bet I have had hundreds of people come to me over the last 14 years. And they'll say things like, hey, I got in a huge fight with my husband and um, you know, we got in this huge argument and I left the house and I went over to my girlfriend's house and I'll say, well, what did they tell you? 
well, pastor, they said, let's go to Second Avenue. Let's get wasted. Let's get drunk. Let's forget about it. Let's get back at him. And I'll always ask, well, how'd that work out for you? Well, not good. You know, we want to get divorced now. You know, the, 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 the home is a wreck. Everything is messed up. And that's because sometimes when we're confused and our mind is not right, if bad people are around us, I'm not trying to be judgmental here today, but here's the thing. If we are constantly hanging around with fools, we can't be surprised when we do foolish things. You guys with me? The Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. So every single one of us in this room has to have two or three people. You don't need a ton. Two or three. That when we get off track, they're like, no, 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 no. You don't need to go get wasted because you got in a fight with your husband. Why don't we call your pastor and set up a meeting so you can reconcile it? Why don't we find you a good Christian counselor? Why don't we pray right now? Why don't, we, why don't we work on reconciliation versus revenge? That's probably a better path. We need those people in our lives. So there's this little side note. He says, well, let's go find the seer. That's what they called prophets before they were called prophets, seers. And it makes perfect sense because prophets had the ability to, to see things that other people couldn't see. They understood the will of God. They had foresight. And so what you would do is if you were to go see the seer or the prophet, you would bring them a gift. And that's not because you were buying their ability. That's not because you're trying to pay them off or bribe them. It was, it was a sign of gratitude. It was a sign of respect. So they would bring something, maybe some food, maybe something they had made, maybe in this case, some silver, whatever they had. And it just showed that they, they, they valued the prophet's time. Help me out. I value your time. Will you help me? And so what we learned from this is something that American culture has lost, sadly, and that is honor and respect. Now, here's the thing. The people of God, if you're a Christian in here, we are to be people of honor, that we understand respect and honor of all people, that we should honor and respect all people, especially people in positions of authority. And, and, and it's, it's kind of sad, and quite frankly, it's not biblical when I hear Christians constantly bashing people in authority, you don't have to agree with everyone in authority. I don't agree with most people in governmental authority. Let's talk about that for an instant. But you have to respect them according to Romans chapter 13. We have to honor them because here's the thing. God does not honor people who do not understand honor. Do you hear me? If we are not people that show honor and respect, because Romans 13 says, everyone who is in a position of authority is there because God has allowed them to be. And when we are dishonorable to that, we are being dishonorable towards God in his decision. And God does not honor people who don't know how to honor people. So after finding out, they, 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 they start walking to the city. There's a couple of ladies coming out who are gonna get some water at the well. Saul and his servant go, hey, uh, excuse me, guys, do, do, you, do you know where the prophet is? And they said, yeah, yeah, just go into town. There's this special sacrificial dinner tonight at the high place. Theologians don't really know what the high place is, but it was some kind of sacred religious spot. There's gonna be a, a sacrificial dinner at the high place. It can't start until Samuel says the prayer for it. So if you just walk in, uh, you should catch him before this, this dinner starts. So they go in. And Samuel sees them first. And it's interesting. We learn in this chapter that the day before God told Samuel, hey, some guys are going to walk in. One of them is going to be a young, good-looking, tall guy, right? A young, impressive man. That's the king. 
That's the guy that you're going to anoint, and that's the one. So here's the thing. Here's another important lesson that we learn. You and I may not get as clear of an instruction like that from God every day. We may not get it that clear. But I believe all of us have a path, all of us have a calling, all of us have a mission in this life. Probably multiple missions that we are to accomplish in this life. And the only way that we are to know the path we are to walk on, listen, the only way that we are to know the things to look for that God wants us to do is we must be living righteously and we must have a relationship with God through prayer. We must be talking to him. And when we are living the way we're supposed to be living, when we have a prayer life, we will see the things that God wants us to see. We will hear the things God wants us to hear and we'll know how to walk that path. Samuel was doing that. That's why he could recognize what God wanted him to see. So God told Samuel this. I find this very interesting as well. He says, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard the cry of my people. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna help them. If you weren't with us last week, we get the understanding in chapter eight that the majority of the nation had kind of turned their back on God and they were, they were turning to themselves, selfish desires. But what we learn here in chapter nine is not everyone was doing that. Let me, let me give you a real world example of this. And if you're new here, I'm, I'm not trying to constantly bash on our nation, but this is where we live. This is the most free, prosperous society that has ever existed. And, and ironically, we are a society turning our back on God, even though we've been delivered by much, uh, delivered from much, right? Just like the Jewish people. We were the most free, prosperous people. We had been delivered, and now, now we are starting to turn our back on God. But here's the thing. Even though as a society... We may be turning our back on God. You don't have to turn your back on God. Not only that, if you are crying out to God, even in the middle of a society that is in rapid decline, spiritually, economically, societally, on a global stage, we are in rapid decline. Even in the middle of a nation falling, the people of God are still heard by God if we cry out to him. Do you hear me? That means your prayers are heard. He sees us, and even in the midst of a society going down, he still protects his people. He is still with his people. So, in times of loss, we just have to remember to trust God. When I say loss, people's minds instantly go to, well, a loved one that died. I'm, I'm not, that could mean that. But I'm talking about loss of things like, I don't know, integrity. Society's loss of humility. Society's loss of fundamental principles of God. As we are losing those things, if we will still trust God in that societal loss, God will be with his people, okay? It means we have to keep crying out. We can't give up. We can't give up. Now, here's something interesting, and I don't do this a lot, but there is a word here that I found very interesting. God told Samuel, this guy Saul will govern my people. Now, now, most of us in here know the word govern means to lead. That's where we get the word government, right? These are people who lead the nation, the government. The word govern there that's used about 50 times in the Bible, a little less than 50 times, it can mean to lead. It can also mean to hold back, to restrain. If you know anything about cars, trucks, go-karts, some of them have governors, which means they can only go to a certain speed and then the engine is limited, 
It, it restrains it, it holds it back. And the reason why God used this word to Samuel is yes, Saul would lead the people, but he would also hold the people back because he would make some very evil choices. And you know what we learn here? And I think we've seen this a little bit in our backyard here in the old United States, is that sometimes, and I'm not referring to anyone now or anyone in the recent past, but all throughout human history, God has used evil people to accomplish his will and to sometimes teach his people a lesson. Remember, everyone who is in authority is there because God has allowed them to be there. So we have to keep that in mind. And sometimes God teaches us a lesson, even with corrupt leadership. Saul will be one of those people. Saul approached Samuel in the city gate and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel answered. Go up ahead of me to the place and eat with me today. When I send you off in the morning, I will tell you everything that's in your heart. As for the donkeys that wandered away from you three days ago, don't worry about them. They've been found. And who does all Israel desire but you and your father's family? Saul responded, am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest of Israel's tribes? And isn't my clan the least important of all the clans of the Benjaminite tribe? So why have you said something like this to me? Samuel took Saul and his servant, brought them to the banquet hall, and gave them a place at the head of the 30 or so men who had been invited. Then Samuel said to the cook, get the portion of meat that I gave you and told you to set aside. The cook picked up the thigh and what was attached to it and set it before Saul. Then Samuel said, notice that the reserved piece is set before you. Eat it because it was saved for you for this solemn event at the time that I said I've invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Afterward, they went down from the high place to the city and Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof. They got up early and just before dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, said, get up, I'll send you on your way. Saul got up and both he and Samuel went outside and as they were going to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us, but wait and stay for a while and I'll reveal the word of God to you. So the servant went on. Okay, all of this, remember the old Pulp Fiction thing, that'll be the only thing some of you remember from today. <laughs> remember the Pulp Fiction thing. So these paths are about to collide. By God's providence, not by chance, not by circumstance, not by coincidence, by God's leading, Saul and the servant walk into the city. They're looking for the prophet, the seer. First guy they run up to, they're like, hey, buddy, do you know where the seer lives? And he's like, I am the seer. I'm the prophet. Oddly enough, the first person that they bump into. So Samuel goes, I'm the guy you're looking for. Then he says, why don't you come to a, 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 fest, a, a, a special invite-only dinner with me tonight? And then he gets even weirder, Samuel does. He goes, oh yeah, and the donkeys you guys are looking for, they're fine. And Saul at this point is probably like, this is very strange. And then the next thing Samuel says, and then he goes, and, and aren't you the one that all of Israel desires? Now that's a very bizarre thing to say. Aren't you the one that everyone wants? Aren't you the thing 
that everyone desires. Now, let's take that word desire and let's pull it out. We have another interesting play on words. The word desire is used all throughout the Bible and it is used a lot of times as a positive, that we want good things. Desire is also used as a negative. That word can mean to want. It can also mean a sinful craving, okay? We're about to go someplace really deep here in a second. The Israelites at this time, they wanted, listen, they wanted security and they wanted prosperity for their people. When I say prosperity, I'm not talking about it in, in the shallow materialistic way. They wanted their people to flourish, to prosper. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong, listen, there is nothing wrong with us as a people wanting to feel secure and wanting to feel prosperous. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we run to any other means for prosperity and security apart from God. Then what happens is this. What starts off as a, as a good, normal desire turns into something that is not of God. So let's bring it into our world, okay? We're gonna talk just super real here for a minute. There are so many times if you get on social media or you watch television or YouTube for any length of time or just go watch people out in the world sometimes. That's become entertainment in and of itself. That if you just go out and watch people, there is this very obvious desire right now in our culture and these desires are not for bad things. There is a desire of love, a desire for security, a desire to feel affirmed and valued. There, there is nothing wrong with these things. These are normal human desires. You all have those desires in some degree. There's nothing wrong with that. You are built to desire love, to feel valued, to feel secure. You are built that way by God. That is a perfectly natural desire. What happens though, is if a young lady goes to sleeping with men all the time versus God for that sense of love, that normal healthy desire for love mutates into an unhealthy sinful craving that we call lust. Do you hear me? It's like the person that makes the videos, you know, like, and I'm not trying to make fun of any of you. You know, it's like when guys are making videos of themselves working out and they're, you know, and they're doing that because they want someone to affirm them. They want someone to say, good job. They want someone to say, wow, your progress is impressive. They want that. And we, we want those things because we're built to want that affirmation. That's fine. The problem is, is when we go to people for that affirmation, when we sell out our dignity and our decency for little hearts or little thumbs, desires have turned into sinful cravings. Everyone hears me this morning, correct? I want you to know, I want you to know there is nothing wrong with your desire for love or affirmation. It is where we go for that that becomes wrong. That is the real problem. And I'm gonna tell you what I'm trying to do as a person to, to, to be better, and maybe some of you need to join me in this, is now when I look at those 30 second clips of some you know, girl dancing in a crosswalk because she's starving for attention, Instead of me looking at that and making fun of her and condescending her, I'm trying to look past the shallow action at the true deep desire that is in the heart of this young lady. And I'm trying to love her through that and say, look, if you really wanna feel value, you need to pick up the word of God because it tells you that you're valued. Amen. 
You need to pray to God because you will get that sense of peace because he's the prince of peace. If you're looking for love, God is love. That means the only way that you can really experience that desire is here. It is through him. It is a misaligned pursuit. And so a desire turns into a sinful craving, okay? This is very important. So Samuel looks at Saul and says, man, the people really want you. They really desire you, and it wasn't a bad way. They desire you. They desire a king. And I love Saul's answer. He goes, I'm from the least important group of people, and of those least important group, my family is the very least important. How in the world could you use me? And what we learn in Saul and what you see throughout the entire Bible is it seems like God does his best work with the most insignificant people. It seems like he uses the ones that don't have any pedigree. Maybe they have a checkered past. Now listen, if you do have pedigree and you don't have a checkered past, God will use you as well. God will use anyone who is humble enough to be used. But it's interesting at this point that that Saul's like, I'm a nobody. And God's like, that's kind of who I pick, right? And I make them into somebody. And this is going to be the first king. So Samuel took the flask of oil poured it out on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Today when you leave me, you'll find two men at Rachel's grave at Zelzah in the territory of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you went looking for have been found, and now your father has stopped being concerned about donkeys and is worried about you, asking, what should I do about my son? You will proceed from there until you come to the oak of Tabar. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one bringing three goats, one bringing three loaves of bread, and one bringing a clay jar of wine. And they will ask you how you are, and they'll give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will come to Gabeah of God, and there are Philistine garrisons. When you arrive at the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place, prophesying. They will be preceded by harps, tambourines, flutes, lyres. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be transformed. When these signs have happened to you, do whatever your circumstances require, because God is with you. Afterward, go ahead of me to Gilgal, and I will come to you and offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice fellowship offerings. Wait seven days until I come to you and show you what to do. When Saul Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed his heart and all the signs came about that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a group of prophets met him. Then the spirit of God came powerfully on him and he prophesied along with them. Everyone who knew him previously and saw him prophesy with the prophets asked each other, what has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man who was from there asked, and who is their father? As a result, is Saul also among the prophets became a popular saying. Then Saul finished prophesying and went to the high place. Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where'd you go? To look for the donkey, Saul answered, and when we saw they weren't there, we went to Samuel. Tell me, Saul's uncle asked, 
What did Samuel say to you? Kind of a nosy uncle, isn't he? Saul told him, he assured us the donkeys had been found. However, Saul did not tell him what Samuel had said about the matter of kingship. And you can imagine why, right? You're a young kid, you come back for looking, you know, looking for your dad's donkeys. Your uncle's like, who'd you talk with? Talk to a prophet? What'd you talk about? I'm, I'm now king, right? You just wouldn't say that. It would be really bizarre and weird. So we understand why Saul didn't do that. Okay. So after revealing God's plan, he told, he told Saul everything that God had told him, Samuel did. He pulls out a flask of olive oil. He pours it on Saul's head, kisses him on the head, and there is something very symbolic of all this, okay? The oil that he would have poured on Saul's head would have had five things in it. Predominantly, it was olive oil. And just so you guys know, we keep olive oil on both sides of the stage here at the church because it says in the Gospel of Matthew that the, the elders of the church are to anoint the sick with oil and pray for them. There's nothing special about the oil up here. There was nothing special or magical about the oil that Saul used. The oil was symbolic of the Spirit of God covering the anointed king. In that oil, there would have been myrrh, which represents submission to God. There would have been cinnamon, which represents integrity, calamus, humility, cassia, purity. Now look, if you're a leader in this room, if you're in any position of authority, this is a good barometer of what a good leader looks like. And that's what that oil symbolized. You're gonna be a leader, you should have these things, right? Covered with God's spirit, submitted to God, integrity, humility, purity. We're gonna find out later, Saul does not have those things, but that's for later. One of the things that some translations say is they call Saul God's Messiah. Now that's a very interesting term. The word Messiah comes from the same word that we get to anoint. But the reason why that is important is though Saul would save the people on certain levels, he would save them from the Philistines, right? Actually, David would do it. But anyways, Saul was the king. He would save them from the Philistines. Though he saved them in a certain degree, the ultimate savior is always God. And this teaches us something about authority. Now, if you're in this room, every single one of us in this room will have some level of authority in our life, whether that's being a parent, which in my opinion is the greatest level of authority that we can ever be given by God, one that many people drop the ball on, unfortunately, and we see the ramifications of that in society. But all of us will be given some, some level of authority. You may be a shift leader at your work. You may start a business. You may be a teacher. You may be a pastor one day. Whatever the case may be, we will have some kind of authority in our life. And the thing that we have to remember with any level of authority or success that we've been given in this life is ultimately it is given to us by God and it belongs to him. Do you hear me? That means that whatever level of authority we have, we have to understand that we are just holding someone else's property. We are holding someone else's authority. And so we have to steward that honorably because it ultimately doesn't belong to us. My kids don't ultimately belong to me. They belong to the Lord. But I am called to have authority over them for a time. And so I need to make sure that I, I steward that well. You know, this church is God's church. But God has given me the authority of the pastor of, of this, this campus, this church, and so I'm, I'm just doing my best to steward what, what ultimately belongs to the Lord. All of us will have to face this, and we learn this in this instant. 
We also learn that God will confirm whatever calling we have in our life. Again, I believe all of us in this room have some kind of calling on our life, and God will confirm that. This whole part when Samuel was, it sounded kind of weird when I was reading it, but Samuel's like, okay, Saul, you're gonna see a couple of dudes. They're gonna have three goats. They're gonna have some bread. They're gonna have some, some wine. They're gonna give you some bread. You're gonna take the bread. And, and, and again, Saul's probably like, what, what are we talking about here? But what Samuel was saying is, on your journey, there's going to be affirmation that you're on the right road. Do you, man, do you, I hope you guys are hearing me this morning. That if we are walking in a relationship with God, things are going to happen on that journey that are gonna be like thumbs up to us. You're, you're going the right direction. The first thing that Samuel told Saul is, what was lost will be found. I hope you hear that. That when we are on this journey with Jesus, what is lost will be restored to you because God is a God of restoration. That's good. You will also have provision, the loaves of bread. You'll be taken care of. You'll have confirmation from people in your life that you're going the right direction, the prophets. And you'll have God's spirit to infill you and lead you and empower you. All of us, if we are walking this journey with Jesus, we will experience these kinds of things. We will experience uh, uh, restoration. We will experience provision. We will experience confirmation from people in our lives and we'll experience the power of the Holy Spirit if we are walking this road with God. Also notice this. Before Saul saw any of the miraculous signs, his heart had already been changed. If you were with me during the, the, the Gospel of John, we were in that for seven, eight months, I can't remember how long. Our big thesis for the Gospel of John is not seeing as believing. That's the way the world looks at faith, seeing as believing. The Gospel of John says, if you believe, you will see. And we see this right here. Because Saul was obedient to the word of God, then he saw miraculous things take place. A lot of us, I'm not saying anyone in this room, but, but I've done this in my life before, before I was a believer. We have the audacity to cross our arms and go, God, if you would just show up, I'll believe. And God's looking down going, if you'll just believe, I'll show up. Saul believed and God showed up. He was obedient and God showed up. He was submissive to the word and God showed up. And so we have to ask ourselves if we're not seeing God, it's not because God isn't there, it's because we're not positioned in a way to see him. And through submission and through trust, we will see God. We will see God work in our lives. And so Saul rolls back into town. He's hanging out with all the spiritual bigwigs of the nation of Israel, about a million people at that time, a million people in, in all of Israel. He, he rolls in with the prophets. He's prophesying with them. All that means is he is speaking the things of God with clarity and authority. And everyone's sitting back going, what happened to Kish's son? Man, this is crazy. And we see something that I said earlier. God, God does not give a rip about your pedigree. God doesn't care what your father did and your grandfather did. And that, you know, maybe there's, there's a lack of education in your pedigree or maybe there's a lack of spiritual maturity in your pedigree. Maybe you've never, you know, your family's never done anything. God doesn't give a rip about your past. God doesn't give a rip about the things you've done that are evil. Let me clarify that with, we have to repent for those things. What God cares about is that we have enough humility to trust him regardless of what we've done in the past, regardless of what our pedigree is. 
And if we will be humble and trust him, he will look past all of that and he will radically change us and he will radically use us. But we have to be humble. We have to say, hey, I need your help. And if we do that, he'll use us. So God's will and this transformation that is taking place with Saul, it began with a search. It began with a young man looking for something that was lost. That's how it all began. He wasn't looking to be the king. He wasn't looking for affirmation or authority. That's not what he was looking for. He was just looking for what was lost. He was searching. He was digging. He was asking questions. Do you hear me? He was also surrounded by good people that kept him on the right track. Hey, let's go find the man of God. When he found the man of God, he listened to the truth and he did what the word of God said. And what happened? Saul was touched by God. We will also be touched by God if we will search, surround, listen, obey. We will be touched by God as well. We'll get to that again here in a second. We're gonna end on that. But before we end on that, let's talk about a couple of, couple of things. The older I get, I don't know about any of the rest of you who've, who've gone over the hill, you're in your mid-40s or older. The older I get, the less I believe in coincidence. The older I get, the more I believe God loves us so much that God's hand is even in the minute, silly details sometimes. I think God is just orchestrating things. I don't think it's an accident that you bump into that person and they have something to say to you or this happens at work or these things. I, I just don't believe it anymore. And we see in Saul's life that nothing was, a, nothing was a coincidence. Happened to walk into a town looking for the prophet and you're like, hey buddy, do you know where the prophet's house is? I'm the prophet. Look at that. So God has a plan for all of us. The question is, are we looking for it? In Revelations chapter one through three, Jesus says something very interesting to these different churches. Jesus said, for those who have the ears to hear, listen. That's what Jesus says. And, and if you ever go back and read Revelation chapters one through three, it's all read. It's all Jesus talking. And Jesus says, for those who wanna hear, I'm about to tell you the truth. That's what Jesus tells him. He also says in Matthew chapter 13 that those who want to have eyes to see. Now, of course, this is not talking about literal ears and literal eyes. This is talking about spiritual ears and spiritual eyes. That if we will pray to God and if we will keep our eyes out for the things of God and our ears open to the things of God, God will show us things. But we have to be in prayer and we have to be looking, we have to be listening, we have to be on this journey. And as we're on that journey, we have to be intentional. What I mean is this, we have to make a decision, you and I have to make a decision to search for things that are lost. If we are discontent, we have to look for contentment. We have to, if we do not know answers, we need to look for answers. If joy and peace seem to be elusive in our lives, we have to go on a journey to find those things. We have to be looking, we have to be walking. We're not gonna be sitting around on YouTube and joy, contentment, and the answers are gonna be like, oh, hey, here we are. We have to be digging, we have to be looking, we have to be searching. So the question is, do we even have a desire for truth? Do we have a natural desire that we are intentionally feeding to find out what true love is, 
what true affirmation is, true security, true peace, true contentment. Do we even, are we even asking the question? Or, or, listen, do we want those things, but we have resorted to sinful avenues to get them? It's okay for us to want love. It's not okay for us to be promiscuous. That's not love. That has turned into a sinful craving. It's okay for us to want to be affirmed, right? God affirms us. That doesn't mean he agrees with everything we do, but he values us. He loves us. It's okay to want those things, but it's not okay to sell out your decency and dignity to get them. Do you hear me? It's okay. But if we're not careful, those desires can turn into sinful cravings on that journey. So if we're on a journey for answers, we also need to make sure that we are intentional about putting some people around us who hold us accountable. You know, listen, you don't have to have 40 good friends. This is another, all you older people in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't need 50 good friends in your life. You need like three. That's it. Jesus had 12 disciples, one that stabbed him in the back, right? A bunch of them that split when he was on the cross, but he had three really, really close ones. Jesus had three really, really close men in his life. We all need two or three people to when we're, we're tempted to get off the road, they go, hey man, we're not gonna go back home. You're not gonna give up. You gotta, you, you gotta find the man of God. You gotta find the woman of God. You gotta, you, you gotta go to church. You, you, let's pray right now. We, we, we need those people in our lives. So what is the character of the company that we have around us? Do you know what the Bible says? Bad company corrupts good morals. Who we hang around matters. Now, that doesn't mean that, that we should have friends that are non-believers. We should have friends that we are helping and sharpening and, and pouring into. You should have those people in your life, but you also have to have those people in your life that are sharpening you. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. If iron constantly hangs out and consistently hangs out with dull wood, you don't make the wood sharp. The wood makes you dull. You need, listen, you need people in your life that are a lot smarter than you that sometimes use words that you don't understand, right? They say it, you pretend like you know it, then you turn around and you Google what acquiescence means. Yes, acquiescence, uh-huh, mm -hmm. You need those people in your life. You need those people in your life that know more about God than you do. You need those people in your life, listen, that love you enough to tell you when you're being stupid or being sinful. Hey, listen, that's sinful, that's wrong, you gotta stop. That's love, man. It's not love if you go to your girlfriends about a, an argument with your husband and they, they tell you to get drunk and screw another dude. Those women, those women are not looking out for your well-being. In fact, they're gonna lead you right to destruction if you're not careful. My wife is probably watching right now. I said the word screw. I shouldn't have. <laughs> I'm sorry. Another thing I'm learning as I get older, I'm learning as I get older that humility is the key that turns the whole thing on. Without humility, there is no salvation. Without humility, there is no transformation. Without humility, there is no authority. Without humility, we, not, we cannot see the things of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what our past is. doesn't matter what our pedigree is or lack thereof. The point is humility. We have to be humble. 
Not only do we have to be humble, we have to understand that whatever God blesses us with, whatever authority he gives us, we have to be responsible. I hope you hear me, Christians. I am so sick of irresponsibility. It has marked our culture. It is is us blame shifting and putting on everyone. We have become the most irresponsible people on planet earth. Please don't let that be you. It's not a good witness of Jesus. It's not a good witness of the Christian walk. Not only are we to be humble people, we're to be responsible people responsible with what God has given us, not careless, not haphazard, not just doing things, shooting from the hip. We need to be calculative because this is our life and our life is a gift from the creator of life. We need to be responsible, okay? So here it is. I promised you simple. I'm gonna deliver you simple. We all have to be searching. I don't care how long you've been a believer or maybe you're not a believer at all. We should all be looking for answers. Well, Corey, I've got it all figured out. Been a Christian for 50 years. Well, obviously you haven't figured out the pride part. (laughs) So you need to keep digging. I've got a really good friend. Um, She has read the Bible, I'm guessing, about 50 times cover to cover. She reads it every single year from cover to cover, the book. And if you were to ask my friend Debbie, is there anything in there every time you read it, your 49th, 50th time you've read it through, did you see anything you never saw before? She would say, every single time I read it all the way through, I see things that I've never noticed before. You wanna know why? Because we'll never be as deep as God. We have got to keep constantly searching for more and more of the things of God, even if we have the fundamentals down. We need to keep digging and digging and digging. On that journey, on that search, you have to have some God-honoring people in your life. Like I said, you don't have to have a dozen of them, but you need two or three. You need people that will hold your feet to the fire. You need people who will be honest with you. You need people who, when you're weak, they will point you in the right direction. You have to have, we are not designed by God to be solo artists. That's not how we're designed. It even says in the Bible, it is not good that mankind be alone. We're to have people around. We're to have community. This is why the church is still relevant. This is why groups are still relevant. This is why this, what we're doing right now, is still relevant. We also need to be listening to God. This is another big problem in our society. In order to listen, we have to eliminate some distractions. We are a distracted people. That's the devil's greatest enemy in the Western world right now. We are a distracted people. And sometimes we have to, we have to prioritize time to be quiet. This is why David wrote in the book of Psalms, we need to be still and know that he's God. That means you may need to go on on a drive by yourself with no music, no radio, just drive. This means you may need to find a closet in your house to to, to go in and pray. This may mean that you need to go for a walk in your neighborhood. No podcast, no music, just walk and think and be quiet and listen to God. If you're a parent, the shower, right? That's the only place we have where you get privacy and peace. Sometimes you need to pray in the shower. Just take a longer shower. It's relaxing, get more clean, talk to God and listen to him, okay? (laughs) The last thing is this. Now hear me. Search, surround, listen, obey. We have to obey the written word, okay? Obedience works on two levels, you ready? The first one is universal, That means that if this book says something is wrong, anyone that calls himself a follower of God, we cannot take part in that. It's universal. If this book says murder is wrong, it's wrong to murder for everybody, okay? Murder is wrong, Bible says that. 
So all of us in this room are to adhere and to obey the commands of this book. That's for everybody. That's one way of obeying. Here's where it gets a little complicated. The other way that we obey is God will personally convict us as individuals. And we have to obey that as well. I'm gonna give you an example. There is nothing in this book that tells you it's wrong to drink alcohol. I cannot get up here in front of, there'll be you know, 6,500 people at this campus this weekend. I cannot get up here in good conscience and say it is a sin to drink alcohol. It doesn't say that in here. Nowhere in here does it say that. So that is not a universal standard for all Christians. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, because of my past, because of things I've done, I have a personal conviction from God, I do not drink alcohol. I don't touch it. I don't judge you if you do it, as long as you're not getting drunk, but I don't do it. And that is a personal conviction. Now, here's the thing. I cannot take my personal conviction and put it on you because that's my conviction from God. God told me not to drink, okay? If you have a, you know, a, a, a nice beer with your pizza or a glass of wine with your wife on your anniversary, that's between you and the Lord. That's your thing. Here's where we need to be, though. I'm using that example to tell you even though I can't show you in the Bible where it's a sin to drink alcohol, if God personally told me not to do it and I disobey, I have sinned. Now, God may convict you in a certain way. There is certain music that my wife cannot listen to, and I'm not talking about music that's vulgar. There are certain things that just take her mind to a place before we were Christians that she doesn't want to go, and she feels a personal conviction about it. I don't have that conviction. It doesn't take me there, but she does. And she has to obey that conviction or she is being disobedient to God and being disobedient to God is a sin. So here's the thing. We have universal obedience that all of us have to follow. But if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, Jesus may tell you, this is gonna sound silly. He, he may say, no more black shirts. Well, but that's not, but the Lord is speaking to you. And if the Lord is telling you about this personal conviction, you need to respond to that. Search, surround, listen, obey. And if we do that, we will see God work in our lives. We will be touched by him. According to the Bible, we will be empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? Search, surround, listen, obey. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and you are on that journey... Maybe you're in the beginning stages of that journey. Maybe you're not a believer yet. Maybe you just got a lot of questions. That's perfectly, perfectly fine. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Greg is up here. If you have any questions, and we're not afraid of questions, we're not offended by questions. If you have any questions about Christ, about God, about this church, about the Bible, come up here and talk to Greg. He'll do his best to help you out, okay? We have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, it doesn't matter what. And then all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, and then the majority of the posts, the pillars in the middle of the room, there is bread and wine. And that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We call that communion, Lord's Supper, okay? Everyone is welcome to take that. You can get up here in a moment. You can take that, go back to your seat, take it with your, you know, your spouse, your friends, your family, by yourself, however you feel comfortable. Everyone is welcome to do that as long as you have asked Jesus to forgive you of the sin in your heart. You have to do that first, the Bible says, okay? Let me pray for us though. Father God, we love you. 
Lord, we live in a, a, a chaotic world. We live in a very depraved world. We live in a world, God, that, that I think is looking for things that we should be looking for, like love and peace and security and value. God, unfortunately, so many people, though, have looked for it in other means but you. So, Father, I pray for all of us in this room, including myself, Lord, that, that we are on a journey to pursue the truth, that we're on a journey to know more about you, God. I pray that you give us good people to surround us around that will hold us accountable, that we'll make sure that we're on the right track. I pray, God, that we, we block out time to listen to you and talk to you and make that a priority. And Father, I pray that we be obedient to you because I know that you will bless us in that. Father, we love you. Keep your hand on everyone in this room. Keep them safe, Lord. We thank you for our time together. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much for being here.